And there we go. That should be live. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Ship Life TV podcast, the show that is dedicated to raising awareness of the opportunity of working on cruise ships and helping new and existing crew have an enjoyable experience. I'm your host, Jordan Martin, and uh, today we're live, live on live on the YouTube, but this is also going to be on the podcast. So if you're listening to this after the fact, welcome. Thank you so much for listening. Um, today, we're going to be talking about a couple different things. Uh, I wanted to talk about a couple articles that I found. If you're not familiar with the format, um, normally what I do with these live broadcasts is I will take live, uh, do a live Q&A section, but before some people jump into the chat, and we already have Tom in the chat. What's up, Tom? How you doing, man? Good to see you. Um, Normally what I'll do is I'll go over a couple of these headline articles. Um, the reason I pull these articles is because I know a lot of us are headline readers, and so I wanted to dive into these interesting headlines and find out if there's any weight to them and why they seem pretty interesting. Um, but the, one of the first ones I wanted to dive in today is this article entitled, You Can Buy a Retired Carnival Cruise Ship and Have It All to Yourself. Um, let me get my... A webcam out of the way. There we go. I think that's better. And this one is entitled, You Can Buy a Retired Carnival Cruise Ship and Have It All to Yourself. Um, that sounds interesting. But to give you guys uh, some expectations on this episode, I'm also going to go over this one from Cruisely. Cruisely, Cruise Everything, this website. And this one is entitled, How to Live on a Cruise Ship for Less Than $100 a Day. Uh, with an example schedule. So we'll be taking a look at that and seeing if there's any weight to this, um, the, see what the reality is. And last but not least, we're also going to talk about this article from abcnews.go.com entitled uh, 300,000 seafarers still stuck on ships we feel like hostages. And um, the, the, the immediate thumbnail here, uh, or the immediate um, screenshot is uh, of the of the video is um <laughs> these two crew workers or well i don't know if they're crew but it says help us so we're going to be going over that but let us dive into this article that says you can buy a retired carnival cruise ship and have it all to yourself by the way before we jump into this article i did want to say that if you um if you don't have the time to go through all you know the, the full hour-long podcast or whatever this podcast ends up being uh, you can check out our highlight section um, after I upload this to YouTube a couple days later or same day, whatever, usually this gets uploaded to the highlights channel. It's a separate channel, so you don't end up watching the same thing twice, but, uh, it is ship life TV highlights, ship life TV podcast highlights. Anyway, without further ado, let's jump into the article. So you can buy a retired carnival cruise ship and have it all to yourself. That sounds interesting to me. Um, what does it say here? This 12-story cruise ship could be all yours. It's got open decks and everything. Let's see, London-based cruise ship auctioneer C.W. Kellogg & Co. is listing one of Carnival Cruise Line's earliest vessels, the Holiday, next month. The ship first set sail in 1985, and it's between 727 to 733 feet long, has 12 decks, and can sleep 1860, uh, 1,860 passengers and 670 crew members. There is no pre-auction price 
there is no pre-auction price estimate for this ship, though the points guy estimated that it'll be for several million dollars. Well, that makes sense. So let's see here. Why buy a dream home or yacht when you can live on an actual cruise ship? And I'm curious to, to know if you guys would be actually interested in, in, in buying a cruise ship. If you could afford it, would you even want to? So, you know, let's say it was even for like the price of a car, anywhere from fifteen dollars to $30,000. Would you buy a cruise ship? And what would you do with it? Leave it in the chat or the comment section down below. Let me know. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. Um, let's see, according to the points guard, London-based cruise ship auctioneer C.W. Kellogg & Co. is listing one of Carnival Cruise Line's earliest vessels, holiday next month. Uh, if you happen to have a couple million dollars laying around, it could be all yours. The former Carnival vessel also sailed for cruise and maritime voyages uh, under the name Magellan since 2015, according to the points guy, though... It still retained its signature winged funnel, also known as the whale tail. Uh, that is, um, that's the, the, the exhaust at the top that looks like a whale tail. It comes up and then it splits for those of you who are listening um, on the podcast. This vessel, vessel, this vessel originally set sail in 1985. It weighs 46,000 tons, can cater uh, 1,800 passengers, and generally had between 660 to 670 crew members on board, according to the listing on the CW Kellogg and Co. website. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say CW because CW Kellogg and Co. sounds, <laughs> it's too long. Rosanna, what's going on? Good to see you. Thanks for dropping by. Um, its length is between 727 and 733 feet and has 12 decks. It's currently the second oldest ship and that still exists today. Oh, and you can still buy it. Oh, thank you, Rosanna. Rosanna is saying that she really enjoys the videos, and I appreciate that. I'm glad you appreciate the videos, and I'm, I appreciate everyone who watches and finds any value in these videos. Um, for the people who are watching right now, if you have any questions, leave it in the chat when I get a second to take a break or something like that. Uh, I will answer your questions. But uh, all bids must be submitted to the company by October 19th, 2020. There is currently no pre-auction price since the estimate for... Uh, no pre-auction price estimate for the ship, though the points guy estimates uh, several million dollars. Bidders should submit their offer in a sealed envelope with the vessel's name, Magellan, uh, on it via mail to CW. And it even tells you where. There's even an address here. So, hey, if you guys want to bid on this cruise ship, uh, mail it to CW Kellogg & Co. Limited. Fifth floor, two London wall buildings, um, London EC2M 5PP UK, or email it directly to Kellogg at uh, eggerforester.com. So it's open to anybody if anybody wants to do that. All right, well, I mean, well, that's pretty much it. So I guess there's not really any news on this, and there's nothing that we can really say about it, except if you want to buy a cruise ship, it's literally open to bids. <laughs> um, for me, I would not buy a cruise ship, but then again, you know, I don't know if I had like yeah, a billion dollars, maybe, maybe I'd repaint it and turn it into an actual whale. Um, maybe I'd paint it as a baby shark and uh, have a baby shark floating around. <laughs> I think that'd be cool. Let's move on to the next one here on Cruisely, cruisely.com. How to live on a cruise ship for less than $100 per day with an example schedule. 
So let's go through this article here. Do you daydream about leaving the rat race, waving goodbye to the office, and wish your entire life could be on the vacation instead of just a week here and there? Trust us, you aren't alone, and if you love cruising, then we think... And then we can think of nowhere else that's uh, as easy to live the good life out there than on a cruise ship. So th th it's starting off interesting. Think about it. Your food's included, making one less expense. Uh, there's always something to go to do on the ship. Let's move forward. Um, let's see, of course, big issue comes to mind with living long term on a cruise ship for a course of, uh, uh, is the cost. For instance, according to our calculations, the cost for two people to live for a year on a single ship comes out to be $175,000 for two people. So both people per year would be, would you'd need to make about what, $87,000 just to live on the cruise ship on your own. Um, but considering you're living on the cruise ship, I'm not really sure how you're going to make that money. So of that number, over $100,000 is spent on the cruise fare alone. Then you add on other things like port fees, taxes, gratuities, and onboard spending like um, <clears throat> uh, restaurants, bars, things like that, and the, the cost grows even more. But if there was a way to cruise long-term or even live on board a ship without spending, um, without what if there was a way um, that you could live on board without spending so much? What if you could live on a cruise ship for less than $100 per person per day? That would be pretty awesome. Um, that would equate to, what, $36,000 for the entire year? And uh, in terms of living expenses, it's, yeah, it's not bad. Uh, for many, that's an amount that's less than what they spend at home. And it is possible. Okay, Cruisley. You got my attention. Tell me how. What it takes, however, is some planning and some discipline. And if you envision cruising as uh, being a nonstop party uh, in an owner's suite while also being inexpensive, think again, but it is possible. Here's how. Sail older ships in the fleet. Okay, we just talked about an older ship. Maybe it makes sense to actually buy one. We'll see. Uh, Emil, what's up? How's it going, man? Um, glad you could stop by. Missy too, brother. We haven't uh, we haven't gone um, live in a few days, a few days, a few weeks. So I'm happy to be back and uh, potentially answer some questions that you guys may have. Uh, right now, we are talking about how to live on a cruise ship for less than one hundred dollars a day. So it says here, let's put it plainly: before the pandemic, there had never been a time when as many cruise lines were building new ships. Cruising was a booming cruising was booming, and uh, lines were added. The lines added capacity as fast as they could. Those builds have slowed as, as the pandemic delays and as many new ships. Even so, there are a few newer builds under construction, blah, 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 blah. For example, we priced a seven-day cruise in October 2021 aboard the Carnival Glory built in 2003. That ship, uh, that ship start at around, uh, I think it means starts. So there's a typo in there. Uh, at around $400 per person for cruise fare. But the rates for... A trip aboard Carnival's newest ship, Mardi Gras, started nearly $5.50 for a week for a long-term cruise during the same time of the year. Okay, so $5.50 for a week, that's just under $100 a day. All right. There's little argument that the newest ships have a lot to offer. And often there is a difference between sailing around, uh, sailing a brand new mega ship versus the older, smaller ships. Even so, if you want to meet the goal of long-term uh, for less than 100 day, then the older ships are your best bet. So 
what it's basically saying in that whole section is that your best bet, if you want to stay long-term on a cruise ship, go on the older ones. It also says here, look for busy departure ports and for cheaper options, okay? One of the great things about cruising is that it has soared in popularity. Ships have moved to more and more ports, and just about everyone lives within driving distance of a port these days. However, not all ports are created equal. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. While there are other port while there are cruises from ports all around the country, few ports stand out as having a ton of options. Like Miami, Port Canaveral, Port Everglades are home to multiple cruise lines and offer amazing number of cruises. If you were to compare it to an airport, sailing out of Miami is like flying out of Atlanta or LAX. The big cruise ports have multiple terminals, serve millions of passengers annually, and simply offer more options. And that greater number of, of choices means the likelihood of finding inexpensive cruise is greater. That's especially important during the summer months. Plus, if you decide to go hop ship to ship, then you may have more options in a place like Miami. So that's another interesting thing. So point number one was to make sure you're choosing the older ships. And then number two is to go to a port where there are more options, which again, along the lines of an airport analogy, that does make a lot of sense. Because again, if you fly out of LAX, you have a plethora of options, uh, airlines from which to choose. So if you try to sail out of a large port, then you have a plethora of ships from which to choose. Um, and since we're now narrowing it down to the smaller ships, then you'll want to go to a port that has more ships because you run into the option of being able to choose more smaller ships as opposed to a smaller port where your options are limited. Anyway, it also says don't be loyal to one cruise line. Some people are crazy about loyalty to one cruise line or another for a good reason. It reminds me of Apple. I mean, if you if all you're really looking for is the technicality behind laptops and computers and things like that, you just need something to work. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to go with Apple. I mean, maybe unless you already have like an Apple Watch and uh, an iPad and an iPhone, but I digress. <clears throat> So I think what's important here is to really look for the best deals if you're interested in finding the best deals. So, you know, uh, again, this, the travel industry is is so packed full of that when when people fly, for example, I, I've known a lot of people who are like, oh, I only want to fly on Southwest. I only fly Southwest. I only fly United. But I think it's important, especially if you want to be cost effective, to look at different options. There obviously is something to say about service and, uh, you know, maybe you don't want to get beat up on an airplane. Um, I forgot which which airline that was that, that like beat up that old Asian guy, but uh, maybe you don't want that to be you and that's important. So you'll pay the extra money not to get beat up on an airplane. Um, so something to consider. <laughs> uh, loyalty has its rewards, literally. Loyalty can have its reward, literally. Perks for um, loyal cruise passengers can range. Uh, everything from priority embarkation to freebies from the cruise line to show appreciate uh, to show appreciation and some are showing showing off a platinum loyalty card on a cruise ship even as a status symbol this is very true um, on cruise ships by the way they even have um, different ways to celebrate uh, the loyal cruisers like they'll have things like captain's club or you'll be a zenith member or something like that that was popular on um, celebrity cruises. However, uh, 
your perks may vary and what they call it can also vary. I was in the jazz band and so every cruise, I think on like the second day or something, they'd bring all of the 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 top tier members and they'd bring them to the sky lounge, which would be uh, all the way forward at the front of the ship and it was like a half dome room and you can see everything. And then the captain would give a speech and then we'd play some music and then there would be free champagne and wine and um, meat and cheese, I think, hors d'oeuvres. So there'd be a lot of that stuff for the people, for, for those people on in that event. But anyway, they do have those. But you'll want to consider what perks come with that <laughs> moving on if you do decide to if you do want to sail for less than a hundred dollar a hundred dollars a day in the long term then it might be a good idea to ditch the loyalty with a major cruise port like miami you have a full lineup of cruise lines carnival royal caribbean msc norwegian and more and that means more opportunities for less deals that might fit your budget so uh, again something to consider it is true that you're likely to f regularly find less expensive cruises on the same lines over and over. Trips on Carnival and MSC, for instance, tend to run cheaper than similar sailings on other cruise lines. However, if you only stick with the same cruise line, you may not find the best deals. So this one's pretty straightforward. So it's like they're essentially saying that if you're already sticking with a cheap cruise line, chances are they're going to continue to be cheap and inexpensive and it's going to be an easy pick for you. But if you're not actively looking to see what, what options are available, then uh, obviously you're not finding the best options. So consider that. Uh, let's see. Lucas, hey, what's going on, Lucas? He says, last week I started as a deck officer uh, on school. It's really nice. That is awesome, Lucas. I would love to learn more. Um, DM me. Uh, if you look this way to my my left, my right, um, on screen, um, Ship Life TV. Uh, that is our Instagram. And uh, tell me more about it. I'm really interested to see what you what you got going on there at Deck Officer School and what that means. I know I've had some people ask me about that as well. Um, and Emil says, Hi, Jordan. When you're still working on a cruise ship, what's your average expenses a day? That's a great question. As crew, um, uh, just to set the stage, a lot of this is really going to depend. A lot of the answers I give, is, it's always like, oh, it depends. I know it's not a popular or it's not a, a, a beloved answer, but it really depends. But I'll tell you why. Um, it depends on what, how much you can, um, how much you can spend in a day. It depends on what you like, what you like to do. I mean, I would spend probably about two hundred and fifty bucks every other week, um, or every two weeks or so, every paycheck, because I like to party. So, uh, you know, on alcohol and going out with friends and buying food and snacks and things like that. And then there was internet. My first contract, I probably spent about $20 on internet and I didn't really care. But then after that, on one of my last, on my last contract, I spent like 400 and something dollars a month on internet. But again, that, that is, that's me. So plus going out in port, it was my regular expenses was about $1,000 a month. I was making uh, $2,600 a month um, after taxes. No, after taxes, it was about $2,550. Anyway, if you're not from the States, then you don't have to worry about taxes. But um, I think realistically, what you can expect to make or uh, to spend on a cruise ship, let's, let's, let's kind of map it out here. Let's say you do want to have some type of nightlife and you're spending 
let's say 15 bucks a night, um, which I think is actually pretty conservative for me. So let's say it is 15 bucks a night. We're going to go 15 times 30. Right, so that's ooh, that's that's four hundred and seventy-seven dollars a month just on going out with friends. Let's let's do it. <laughs> I think that's a little excessive for a lot of people. So let's divide that by two. So that comes out to two hundred and thirty-eight. Let's call it two hundred and fifty bucks a month just on going out. But then there's also going out in port. Let's do another two hundred and fifty bucks. So that's going to be like fifteen dollars every other day because you're not going to be in port all the time. Some ports you're not really going to want to go to. Some ports you'll spend a little extra money. So that's around five hundred dollars a month. Um, so I would estimate if you're just a regular person, likes to go out, buy souvenirs, spend some time with friends, I would estimate anywhere from five to seven hundred dollars a month you could be spending. Now, if you really don't want to be spending any money, you don't have to. Um, but that wasn't one of my saving was not one of my biggest concerns on the cruise ship. I was more about having the experiences. So what did that mean for me? Um, that meant that when I would go home, I didn't have a lot of savings. I would probably only have maybe like $1,500 in savings when I went home. And, but I did know some other people who had a, a bunch of money. Uh, for example, um, a buddy of mine, Riley, Riley Tench, a lot of you probably know him already. And uh, he, on the podcast, he was saying that his first couple of contracts, he saved up a bunch of money and he ended up buying a bunch of camera equipment. Well, camera equipment is not cheap, especially for the body and the lenses and all of the little trinkets and accessories. My guess is he had anywhere from three to $4,000 saved up. So in order for you to do that on like a six to eight month, eight month contract, it's not very hard to do if you don't have any expenses that you have to pay for while you're on the ship in general and you're conscious about saving your money per paycheck. So it can be done. And some people, they leave the contract with like five, ten dollars to $15,000. So it happens, but it all depends on how diligent you want to be. And I think it's important if you want to save money on a cruise ship to consider saving as an expense and pay yourself first. So first thing goes to savings and then the rest goes to expenses and whatever you have left over, that's what you have for playtime, miscellaneous, whatever it may be. I hope that answers your question, uh, Emil. Uh, there's no hard and set answer for that, but it gives you some food for thought. And Lucas is saying, yeah, I studied uh, for a chief engineer and deck officer. That's cool, man. I think you mentioned that you're going to be in school for, what was it, four years? I could be wrong, but um, let me know. Let, let, me, let me know what... what your plans are in terms of um, uh, for for schooling and what what you're gonna what to expect as a deck officer when you can hop on a cruise ship and what that looks like. I think that'd be that'd be cool. Maybe we'll get you on a podcast. Who knows? Jeeper, what's going on, man? Good to see you. He's saying I would normally go home with like three k for my two month uh, two month vacation. That's awesome. Um, yeah, three thousand dollars is. That's, that's a substantial amount for, two, for a two-month vacation. But another thing that's important to consider when you are um, saving up is when you do go on vacation, well, if you're not working when you're on vacation, some of those savings will go toward your regular expenses while you're back home. And then if you got friends back home and you want to go hang out with them and party, eat, socialize, and whatever, some of those savings will be eaten up. So I caught myself doing that. When I would go home, all of the savings that I would have when I got home is pretty much gone by the time I stepped back on the, on the on my first day of the cruise ship. So 
Yeah. And Lucas is saying, yeah, four, uh, four, four years. So anyway, let's, uh, let's keep going on this, on this article here on how to have a, for those of you who are just joining in again, we are talking about how to live on a cruise ship for less than $100 per day. Uh, the first tip was to uh, sail with the older uh, older fleets, uh, older cruise ships in the fleet. Um, look for busy departure ports and don't be loyal to one cruise line. Look at all of your options because you may miss something. That's why companies like uh, Skyscanner and Kayak end up doing really well because they look at all of the um, different travel options for you so you so you can see what your options are. And Jeeper is saying like, oh yeah, I did blow the savings on vacation. Yeah, it's it's pretty common. So, I mean, but again, it just depends on what's important to you. You know, if you want if you want to be able to spend your money on things and experiences, then just be mindful that it's going to go toward that instead of savings and vice versa. Uh, let's see, drastically limit your onboard spending. Oh, that what a nice segue. <laughs> As mentioned, cruise lines are great at getting you to spend money on the cruise ship. And um, let me get this shadow out of my face here. Is that better? Okay. Um, and if you want the full cruise ex cruise experience, uh, you're welcome, Emil. If you want the full cruise experience, you're going to have to shell out some dough. After all, hurricanes and Mai Tais aren't free. Unless you make it yourself, um, which you can. You can actually buy alcohol on the cruise ship. So that's something to consider um, if alcohol is your thing. It says, but beyond alcohol, there are lots of places to spend. Specialty restaurants are gaining in popularity. Then there is a, there's a casino, shore excursions, Wi-Fi, onboard shopping. That's why the average passenger's onboard spending is around 35 to 45% of their cruise fare. Um, I'm interested to see what that means. For example, if your fare, if like, so let's say it's $1,000 just for the sake of math. Are they saying that you can expect your onboard spending to be about 350 to 450 or are they saying that I, th I think that's what they're saying <laughs> so if you want to sail for $100 a day then your onboard spending has to dramatically be lower than average and maybe even close to zero well that kind of takes the fun out of it but i guess uh i guess they're really just trying to focus on the opportunity of just living on the cruise ship and not living the cruise ship uh life so interesting interesting thought um instead if you want to enjoy yourself then look at doing it off the ship where prices are much cheaper um also be careful with that because usually when the cruise ship goes into port it also means that you're going to be going into a tourist spot uh, i like to use the example of falmouth jamaica or pretty much anywhere in the bahamas for that for that matter you know like the minute you go into St. Martin, you're literally in a touristy area. And even though, yes, on the cruise ship, it's going to be expensive because you have nowhere else to go. So they're going to jack up the prices so you have no choice. You're still in a touristy area by the time you get out. You'll have to get out of the of that little area to get the local prices. Um, another, another great area that I love is... Um, uh, Cozumel, Mexico. I love that place. Um, even though, yeah, you do walk into this little shopping area, you have to get out. You don't have to walk very far to get to some really nice places with drinks and food and um, I suppose entertainment as well and souvenirs and grocery stores that you're, that you're spending uh, as much money or less money than you would normally spend typically back home if, if you're in America. So 
you know, like um, there's this there's this place where you can get like dollar quesadillas. And they're only a dollar because they're so close to the cruise ship. But, you know, for, for someone like me, a dollar for a quesadilla, that's a steal. So, yeah. And um, uh, Emil is saying, two beers a night and I'm in. I know some people like that. I had a buddy of mine, he was over the other day and he had one shot, red, glistening face, done for the evening. Uh, we call that a cheap date. <laughs> so for me, you know, because uh, I drink a lot and I have a decent tolerance. So what that means is that when I go out, it usually means that it's going to take a few drinks for me to get to a point where I'm not thinking about how bad I'm dancing. So something to consider when, when I go out. And so that's why I have to pregame before I go out. So I don't end up spending a hundred bucks every time I leave the house. Um, but then therein lies other issues where, you know, maybe I pregame too hard and I never make it out of the house. So anyway, let's get back to the article. <laughs> it says you take advantage of ports of call to save money. Finally, if you want to make the most of your budget, do it in port. Um, while most spots that a cruise ship will visit are tourist areas and generally have more expensive prices you see anywhere in the country, they're still uh, cheaper than on a ship. This article is actually doing a very good job of helping me segue my little rants back into the article. Um, just an observation. Um, for instance, if you want to have a beer on the ship, expect to dish out eight, uh, 6 to $8 each. What I will say is that here in America, in, in most of the cities, at least the larger cities, 6 to $8 for a beer is pretty normal. Um, unless it's like a, a, you know, a domestic, super domestic beer like Bud Light or, you know, some kind of light beer or whatever, O'Doul's, <laughs> which is not even really beer. Anyway, um, those will usually be about like five, but six to eight dollars is not too bad. But it says here, but in port areas, you can often find a restaurant or a bar that will serve uh, a brew for about two to three dollars each. Also keep in mind that if your crew... Um, when you're leaving the ship and, you know, like if you're close enough to the area, sometimes you can show your ship ID and they'll give you a discount. It's not always amazing, but sometimes you can get a discount, which is pretty cool. Um, we used to, in St. Martin, get a discount when we would go into this internet cafe, uh, because internet on the ship is kind of terrible. So we would go to this internet cafe that's got pretty good internet and surf the web, download some stuff, whatever. You can bring your own laptop or you can use their computers. I would naturally bring my own laptop and I would download stuff. Um, I would download movies. I would download um, uh, music and get caught up on whatever I needed to call family, video chat, all that good stuff. So uh, they have regular rates and then they have crew rates, which are a lot less expensive. And I think they do it usually like per hour. Anyway, it says here, it's the same for dining. On the ship, there are tons of free food, but specialty restaurants are growing in popularity among cruise lines. Uh, that is very, very true. Um, I was a, not just was, I am a fan of the specialty crew, um, <laughs> specialty restaurants on the cruise ship because it allows me to kind of get out of the, the mentality of having to eat in the mess which is like, sometimes it just feels like it's the same thing over and over and over again. And then finally you're able to go to a specialty restaurant that has like a three to five to seven course meal. And they've got special crew discounts where it might even be like 50% off if you bring two people or something. So uh, then you sit down and you actually feel like you are a guest. 
Uh, sometimes they do have rules where you do have to wear your your badge and your and you have to be in uniform, but you're 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 for the most part still generally treated like a guest. Anyway, it says here instead, if you want to eat something other than the buffet or dining room, then you can wait until you get to the port. Local restaurants can be much cheaper than dining on the cruise ship, and it's nicer than it's it's nice getting something different than uh, you're eating every day on the ship. So I agree with that 100%. Um, you know, that's why I like those ports because you can get something. And sometimes you can get a lot of food for a little bit of money um, on those ports. It also says here you can also save money while in port by picking up items at the pharmacy that you might, that you might need on the ship, like toiletries and other items are extremely expensive on a cruise. Each port typically has a small shop or pharmacy selling things like deodorant, toothpaste, and other personal items. That's a great tip. Um, for example, in San Juan, uh, my friends and I, we used to go to the CVS that was there. Excuse me. We used to go to the CVS that was there and stock up on toiletries that we would need, uh, like mouthwash, um, shampoo, soap, toothbrushes. Because again, they do sell those for crew on the ship, and they will be cheaper than your typical shops that are on like deck four or something like that. But, um, you know, it's still going to be marked up at least anywhere from 50 cents to $2. So you'll save some money just by getting off the ship, stopping by a CVS or a Walgreens or a Publix or whatever, and uh, picking some stuff up there. And we got Rachel in the chat. What's up, Rachel? Good to see you. Um, she's saying, hey, Jordan, how long is the process when applying to be a musician on a cruise ship? Also, how hard is it to get the job and the success rate? I will get to that in a second. Let me finish this article, and we'll talk about that. Um, let's continue. As well, many ports have Wi-Fi available. Internet on a cruise ship is expensive. It's norm while it's normal to pay, uh, it is normal to pay $15 a day or more. But if you want to just check email occasionally, then wait till you're in port. There are <clears throat> some areas uh, that have free service or there are shops and restaurants that give access to customers. Yes, um, so specifically from a crew side, it's very common for crew members just to find some type of cafe or restaurant, uh, order a plate of food for about maybe anywhere from like eight to $11 or even something smaller, like four to five bucks and use the free Wi-Fi. Some restaurants are smarter about this and so they'll actually put the Wi-Fi code on the receipt so you have to buy something, but it kind of just depends on where you go. Some places you could literally just sit down outside and they won't even say anything. Um, what you could also do is have Wi-Fi, um, or excuse me, have a cellular service on your phone. It depends on where you go. You could buy a, uh, a SIM card. For example, when I was in Europe, I was going all around med the Mediterranean. I would buy a SIM card that worked anywhere in the EU. Ooh. Shoot, I'm sorry. Uh, trying to get my, uh, my brain going right now. I had a cup of coffee earlier and it looks like I need another one. <laughs> so um, whenever I was in the EU, my phone would work. So if we were in port, I could go out to an open deck. If we were close enough to land, um, then I could use my phone, get internet, go on Facebook, Instagram, send emails, check messages, all that good stuff. Or while I'm walking around, the other great thing about having a SIM card is that you, it's, you really reduce the risk of getting lost. So you can pin where the ship is or where the harbor is and you know, you could just kind of venture out and then find your way back as long as you have internet. So yeah. Anyway, um, it gives a little breakdown here on the $100 per day 
uh, sailing. Sailing for less than $100. It is sailing less than $400 a day long term. It's definitely possible, but it does take plenty of discipline. If you're envisioning a lavish, free spending trip that you might have on a... Uh, sorry, let me get this article back up here. Um, on a single cruise, then you should adjust those expectations. Even so, by being smart with your money, including interior cabins, keeping your cruise line options open, and by being thrifty on the ship, you can find options to sail for under $100 per person um, per day, it means, even after taxes, fees, and gratuities. So... <clears throat> To give you an example, below we've compiled a schedule of cruises that start from 2021 that sail from Miami and Fort Lauderdale. These trips add up more than 60 days at the start of the year, offering you two months living aboard the ship. Oh, that's interesting. So sailing for under $100 a day. The following sample schedule for two people includes more than two months at sea and an average price per person per day of just $94. So at two months at sea, with at, so that's still about what, $3,000, $3, so that's still like six grand, but regardless, that's it's not terrible. Is my math right? 30 times 100? Yeah, 3,000. <laughs> All right, so let's see. We got MSC. You start off at MSC, MSC for 14 nights. The price is $25.92. And then another 14 nights on MSC, same ship. So basically, you don't even leave and spend another 2578. And then you go to the Carnival Sunrise for five days for 964. Then you go to Royal for four days for 835. Then you go to MSC Armonia for 11 days, uh, four days, then another seven day cruise um, for uh, 700 for the first one, 1100 for the next one. And then you stay at a hotel for one night. And then just to wait for the Royal Caribbean Empress, OTS, uh, Empress of the Seas, um, for eight days for 1500 And then you transfer over to Princess, uh, the Caribbean Princess, for one last week. Um, and that is a grand total of $11,827. So it says here, in our example, we purposely added a number of different ships and cruise lines to offer some variety. We're able to, we were able to find an itinerary for the entire two months with the exception of one night where a passenger would have to spend a night in a hotel in Miami before heading back to the sea the next day. Um, basically, what I find interesting about this article is it provides an opportunity for people to live on the cruise ship for an extended period of time and enjoy the travel and enjoy um, being at sea. Obviously, without the luxuries of, you know, being on the cruise ship and enjoying all of those little things. Sorry, I keep, like, touching my nose because it's like, yeah, you guys ever had that, <laughs> like, it feels like something's tickling your nose? That's what I'm getting right now. Anyway, um, so you have the luxury of being on the cruise ship, enjoying the travel, and enjoying the open, fresh air, which uh, I'm sure a lot of people, especially in California, would appreciate because of these fires. It's pretty crazy out here um, for less than 100 bucks a day. So, yeah. And if they can do it and they can put this together, then you can too. Um, now, whether or not you have uh, $12,000 to do it, that's... You know, that, that's up to you, but, you know, it can be done. So, 
There you have it. All right, now let's jump into Rachel's question. How long is the process when applying to be a musician on a cruise ship? How hard is it to get the job and what is the success rate? Okay, so let's talk about some, we're gonna start backwards with that one. What is the success rate? Um, that is kind of difficult to say because it depends on a lot of different factors, especially um, what ship you're going to. Certain ships, certain cruise lines will look for different things, and that's very normal and very natural because they're going to different places. And depending on the itinerary, for example, what they're looking for in Europe might be a little bit different from what they're looking for in uh, the Bahamas. And same things with like the Balkans or in Japan or, I mean, you know, East uh, East. Southeast Asia, or even Australia. So maybe the ship might be gearing for something and they're looking for a specific act. And when you're applying, maybe in the middle of that. So that could have some effect on whether or not the cruise line would think of hiring you at this time. I also wanna say that if you are applying and you're, you don't really get a call back, if it's not a no, then it doesn't necessarily mean no. So don't be afraid to keep applying or keep inquiring about your application because uh, obviously you want to work on the cruise ship and uh, you know different times call for different people. Anyway, so in terms of a set success rate, there is no set success rate. I also want to say that because of the amount of people who do end up applying, the success rate tends to be lower because there are a lot of people who are not prepared when they apply. Um, that's where my job comes in or not necessarily my job, but I want to help prepare you guys. So, but there are a lot of people who just submit their tapes. They don't have a repertoire list. Um, they're not submitting the right, um, show reels or, um, yeah, basically show reels. Um, they, they don't have the right look or they don't look experienced enough in the video. So not enough things to help sell them or sell the cruise line on why they should work with that musician. So because of that, that's going to drive the success rate lower. Now, does this mean you won't be successful? Not necessarily. If you are more prepared, right? If, you're ha if you have all the things that a cruise line, or at least most of the things a cruise line is looking for, you have a very good chance of being able to work on the cruise ship. So, um, and we got a couple of the people making, uh, uh, commenting in the chat here. Um, I have no idea how to pronounce that first part. Um, well, maybe I do. Zululuwazi. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry for butchering your name there, but this person saying, hey there, does the weight of a person matter when applying for a cook on the ships? Um, we can talk about something like that. I'm not a cook, but we can dive into it. And then Rachel's following up by saying, also, as you spoke about Wi-Fi, could a Wi-Fi dongle be taken uh, and used on board? We can dive into that as well. But let's jump back into the musician question. Um, so how hard is it to get the job? It's not very hard, but it kind of depends, right, what your definition of hard is. Because if you're not very experienced on the entertainment side uh, and and the musician side of being a musician on a cruise ship, it's going to be very hard. Like, for example, if you're starting off from zero, it's going to be difficult, very difficult, because you have to, you got to put in your time. Now, if you... Not to say that everybody needs to go to music school to be a musician, but if you went to music school, chances are your level of musicianship is going to be up there. And um, you should have some entertainment experience, so it's not very difficult for you to get, uh, for you to perform in front of other people, 
let alone in front of a camera that's recording you and do a good job. So I would say the level of difficulty for the average musician is I would moderate. You know, if if you're a regular, if, if you have experience playing in front of people, but you haven't quite put a package together, that's probably going to be the hardest part where you have to start thinking about, all right, who am I applying? Uh, what cruise line am I applying to? What type of repertoire should I put on my list? Um, what kind of video should I make? How do I make that video? Um, uh, what about my branding and my image? Do I want to go solo? Do I want to put together a group? And then there's the difficulty of managing and leading a group with all of these people, making sure all of these people have the right expectations for a cruise ship. Are they all ready for a cruise ship? Are they all willing to commit to working on a cruise ship for anywhere from four to six plus months? And uh, making sure that they all can work with you on what you see for the band's image. What tends to happen, though, is these bands end up, when you rehearse, you form a bond and everything, for the most part, works out on the cruise ship um, in a very general sense. I've seen things get very sour quickly. Anyway, in terms of difficulty, those are some things to think about. I, again, I don't think it's that difficult, um, especially if you're experienced, uh, but there is a lot of legwork that's involved. And then how long is the process? That's another one. It depends on a lot of different factors because if you apply, like for example, right now, how long is the process? I mean, you could get accepted right off the bat because you're awesome, but you may not actually get to a cruise ship until later on this year to early next year because of the pandemic. Now, in a regular setting, how long does it take? Um, it kind of depends. So I'll use my example. Uh, when, when I was on a cruise ship, I did work in a four-piece jazz quartet, but I broke off and I created a duo with the singer of that same quartet, and we started off from scratch. What we did was we made a, a video had a repertoire list. Um, we had to send over our our uh, our CVs or our resume um, of things that we've done in the past, and I would say it took us a month. One month after submitting everything um, to the to our agent, which at the time was Landau Entertainment, um, it took us about one month to get some proposed dates. Now, generally, the way that works is after they send you the the the, the openings. Um, it's not a, it's, they're not contracts, but they want to make sure that you are available before they tell the cruise line, um, that I have somebody. So you say you're available then they'll say, yeah, we've got some people. They'll submit the package and then we'll, they'll let us know. At that point it took about, cause that was around, um, middle of, that was around like May, middle of May or something. And at that point, uh, I think it took about a month and a half to get, uh, solid dates. And at that point, we actually ended up picking up two contracts. One was a short-term seven-week contract in the Mediterranean, and then it was a month vacation, and then it was a six-month uh, contract on Celebrity Millennium for how long was it? I can't remember how long it was, but um, no, 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 it was six, six months. I just said that. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but those two dates, uh, you know, for the rest of almost the entire year was booked just off of that one conversation. So, um, yeah, about two months to lock the, lock in the deal. Uh, but again, it could, it could depend. I guess my main point here is, um, it's, 
because you don't really have a lot of expectations, it's hard to guide you in that direction because I can't give you any expectations because it really depends. But have some expectations in terms of how long it, sh it is okay for it to take. It could take several months before they get something concrete to you. And things with a cruise ship happen very quickly all the time or right off the bat. So what I'm saying, what I mean by that is sometimes you may be waiting and all of a sudden cruise line hits you up or your agent and they're like, we need you on the ship. Can you get on in three days? Can you get on tomorrow? So when you just, just when you think nothing's happening, everything could turn around. Uh, I hope that helps. And since we're on Rachel's question, I just want to talk about the Wi-Fi real quick. And then, um, Noella, we'll get to your question as well. Um, and then we're going to wrap some things up. But, um... You, uh, it says also spoke about Wi-Fi. I'm not sure what you mean by a. Well, you say you're, you're saying a MiFi dongle. Um, yeah, give me some clarification on that, Rachel. On what a MiFi dongle, or maybe you mean Wi-Fi. I'm not really sure what you mean by that. Um, maybe it's some type of device that gives you Wi-Fi wherever you go. I'm not really sure. Anyway, let's jump to Noel's question. Hey there, does does the weight of a person matter when applying for? Uh, for the cook position on cruise ships. Um, no, until a certain point. Because then I think at a certain point, it's it's not even the weight of a person applying to be a cook. It's the weight of a person applying for almost any job on cruise ships, for, the, for, for that matter. <clears throat> and the reason why this applies is not because there's a weight discrimination. Um, again, this is, it's not like I've spoken with HR about this, but just from my perspective. So take it with a grain of salt, but hopefully you get something from this. Um, if your weight, okay, but let me, let me, let me preframe this even more. You should be able to assist guests and be able to take care of the safety of guests and in an emergency situation, get from point A to point B uh, quickly and effectively. So if your weight affects you, um, negatively impacts you and you're not able to move about quickly and for example put on a standard life vest a standard size life vest or you're not able to get up and down the stairs easily when the if an, if the elevators were to go out in an emergency situation in an emergency situation they may not let you on the ship because those are very real things that could happen and they're always considering those things. So if you are overweight and those types of things are difficult for you, then not only are, are they going to be less likely to have you as a crew member on the cruise ship, but that's probably not the best place for you to be either. And this is not me saying that, you know, people need to lose weight. Do whatever you need to do. Um, but maybe be in a situation where you're not actively in charge of somebody else's life and your own life may be at risk because you can't fit into a uh, standard size life vest or fit comfortably into a standard size lifeboat. So um, that's, that's my two cents on the weight thing. Um, and then Rachel is following up on her question. Yeah, it's a portable Wi-Fi router that can be connected um, that, that you pay for monthly. Oh, I see. Okay, cool. So it's kind of like a, like a hotspot. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's essentially the idea is like paying for internet on your phone. You know, it it receives Wi-Fi and then you can use it kind of like a hotspot where it will feed uh, data into your laptop or something like that. 
At least that's my understanding. Yeah, you can absolutely use that. Um, <clears throat> now, where you would use that, you would probably need to use that next to Windows or Open Deck. So again, something to consider. For example, if it's raining or something like that, being out on open deck is not likely um, because a lot of ships, they may have an open deck, but the overhang or something like that. Um, some do, some don't. And then there's also, if you want to be by a uh, <clears throat> by a window, I've I've had plenty of friends who had the um, the the chips, the SIM cards, and they would have to go to the crew area and sit right next to the window and hold the phone up. So you know, if you're relying on that that Wi-Fi dongle, you may be in a situation where you're literally like holding your laptop next to the the window, trying to get a good signal so that you can check your mail or something like that. Also be aware that when you're at sea, um, the regular Wi-Fi and cellular service towers are way too far to send any of that stuff. So you're, you're now relying on satellites. So usually when you're at sea, you're at the mercy of either using the ship's Wi-Fi or paying, in, paying exorbitant fees for using um, satellite at sea, um, cellular data, whatever it may be, or just don't use internet at all. So, uh, and also while you're at sea, the internet is crappy, really, really crappy anyway. So unless it's that important, my recommendation would be just to wait until you're in port. So yeah, um, let's finish some things off. I still have one more article that I wanted to go over. Um, oh, oh, that's not it. Here we go. All right. And this article is entitled 300,000 seafarers still stuck on ships. Quote, we feel like hostages. So let's, uh, let's listen to this. Hard, hard because of because coronavirus. Of coronavirus. Latest on thousands of cruise ship workers stuck at sea, unable to disembark because of coronavirus concerns. Gio Benitez spoke to so many American crew members desperate to get home. Good morning, Gio. Hey, Michael, good morning to you. Yeah, we've been reporting on this issue for weeks now. And before we jump farther into this video, uh, just one of my concerns with this is that, you know, um, I, I'm hoping they're not going the route that people have normally been taking. Um, and uh, Noala and Rachel, you're welcome. If, uh, again, any questions, just let me know. And if I don't have time to get into your questions, don't forget you can go into, um, uh, hop in my DMs, slide into those DMs, Ship Life TV on Instagram. Um, while we dive into this video here, I just, I'm really hoping they're not going into the, we feel like prisoners on cruise ships and this, this, and this. And, you know, the cruise line is holding us captive. I want to remind you guys, at least, from my perspective, if you guys have a different perspective, leave it in the chat or the comment section down below. Again, I want to start a conversation about it because I think it is important to talk about. But <clears throat> again, my perspective is that you can feel like a prisoner, but at the end of the day, it's not something that the cruise lines can control. It's not the cruise lines saying you can't leave. It's actually the countries um, that, are, that are doing it. So if the countries that they're sailing by are saying you can't, you can't drop people off here. And then what's the cruise line supposed to do? And a lot of the times, it's your own home country that won't let you back in. So if it's your own home country is saying like, nah, bro, then I don't, I don't know what you're supposed to do. So anyway. Oh, and still, tens of thousands of workers are stranded and desperation is setting in. 
This morning, thousands of cruise ship workers are stuck at sea. So they are talking about cruise ship workers. This is a very, um, th this is very common. Um, also, this was released on September 11th at 10 in the morning on ABC News. Um, let me see uh, the, oh, no, no, no. Let me fix something here. Um, you can see it right here, ABC News. Um, but this is something that's being talked about a lot where cruise ship workers are still quote unquote stuck. I do know for a fact, a lot of them, I don't know how many of them, but there are a lot of cruise ship workers who are actually getting paid while they're stuck on the ship and they don't have to work. So they're just literally just, uh, quote unquote stuck, but they're still making some money. And I, on the flip side, I will also say that there are some who are not getting paid because they're not essential crew. So that's that's a whole other situation, but it's not the cruise ship's fault. Speaking to us from their isolated cabins. I spend 21 hours a day in my cabin, 21 hours a day. Melinda Mann of Georgia has been stuck on a Holland America cruise ship with... Well, I mean, yeah, sure, 21, ab 21 hours a day stuck in your cabin. I get it, and it's tough. And it's tough for her. You know, the way she's saying it, though, is that she feels like... She's making it seem like she feels like it's, she's a prisoner. Um, I get it if she, if she feels that way, but, you know, it's not an easy time for a lot of people. With no passengers for 48 days. Here's some video from inside the ship. It's a ghost town. Her ship tried to... That, that video, by the way, was she was just looking at just empty... Uh, rooms Dock in, the in LA ship. earlier this week, but the crew was denied permission to disembark. I literally could spit on land and I would have been there. The CDC telling ABC News the cruise executives refused to attest to safe disembarkation conditions. Wait, what? CDC refused to attest to CD. What? Melinda making vacation can safe disuse to attest the cruise executives refuse to attest to safe disembarkation conditions. Interesting. Well, that that's a first to hear for me that um, that that happened. Melinda making banners to hang on her balcony. I can't live my life being afraid, and I can't live on this ship forever. There are currently more than eighty thousand crew members on one hundred twenty ships in U.S. waters. Michelle. Don Morton from West Virginia is on the Emerald Princess just off the Florida coast. We're being vilified as carriers of a disease that we don't have. I don't know about that, if they're being vilified as, you know, as, you know, as carrying a disease that they don't have. I mean, that's just because you don't have it doesn't mean you can't carry it, right? So I, I think that that these people being on the cruise ships, they're looking for reasons why that they're being stuck on the cruise ship. Like, trust me, I, I understand that it's difficult to be stuck on the cruise ship and you can't do anything about it. There's no expectations as to when you can go back and you want to see your family and, you know, you can literally see land, bro, just let me come home. I get that. But I mean, to literally say that you're being vilified for, you know, for the idea of having like you can carry it bro like you, like you've been to the ship has been to different countries and you could have it and carry it and all of a sudden release it out into the world so 
the CDC, the U.S. Coast Guard, they're all like, and not even just America, the entire globe, they're all trying to do as much as possible so that this doesn't spread. You just happen to be in the wrong situation at the wrong time. Which at this point, I'm more in danger of getting COVID-19 by trying to go home than you are in danger of getting it from me. But if that's the case, if you are in danger, more in danger of getting COVID by going home than you getting it, like, regardless, doesn't it only make sense for you to then just stay on the cruise ship if you're more likely to get it if you go home? So you want to go to a place where you're actually more likely to get it. Wouldn't it make more sense to stay on the ship? And now this morning, another cruise line, Royal Caribbean, has been hit with a proposed class action lawsuit. More than a thousand employees allege that the company failed to protect its crew members, citing parties like this one in mid-March, after cruise operations had been suspended in mid-March. Well, this guy, I mean, I feel like this kind of goes against what that guy just said. He's saying that they don't have it, but now they're suing for having it? or uh, potentially having it. And if that's the case, then now there's no wonder why the CDC and the U.S. Coast Guard aren't letting you guys on is because, you know, now it's the cruise ship. So then now it possibly is the cruise ship's fault. But, you know, this is just one instance. So it, I feel like this kind of just... Uh, <laughs> it keeps it keeps unraveling. Says we are working hard to repatriate everyone else who wants to return home as soon as governments allow. Meanwhile, Holland America tells us that it is working with the CDC to get those workers off of those ships and home safely. But still, George, none of these cruise lines can tell us when that is going to happen. So anyway, I want to leave it up to you guys. If you guys have any. Um, any thoughts on this? Let me know down in the chat or in the comments section down below. We have one last question from Nawala who is saying, uh, one last quick question. How are you guys paid cash or in some bank account? Uh, that's a really easy, simple question. Uh, there is a card that you are given on the cruise ship and your money is loaded onto that card. From that card, you can connect it to your existing bank account, transfer the money. You can even set up instant um, transfer where as soon as the money hits your account, then it you know, a certain percentage of it will go to your account back home. So yeah, that is how you get paid typically on the first and 15th of the month. Um, but anyway, uh, we're going to road and wrap some things up. And if you guys have any questions, hit me up on Instagram, slide into those DMS at ship life TV on Instagram. And you've been watching ship life TV, the show that is dedicated to raising awareness of the opportunity of working on cruise ships and helping new and existing crew have an enjoyable experience. Uh, I've been your host Jordan, and uh, we hope to see you in the next video. But again, if you made it through the entire live stream in this video and this podcast, then thank you so much. Really, really appreciate you. But in the future, if you don't have the time to get through an entire podcast, check out our highlights channel. That's Ship Life TV podcast highlights. And uh, you'll check out, uh, you can you can see little snippets anywhere from like four to five minutes to 20, 26 minutes. But they're bite-sized pieces that you can just sit down and listen to or watch whenever. Anyway, uh, without without further ado, we're, we're going to end the video now. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye.